Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast. My name is Jonathan, and this is episode 16, All Who Dread Peace. In the arrival of the Romans in the uh, 43 AD has led to a lot of things for them at this stage. This is We're now looking at 47 AD. They finally defeated a lot of their opponents in the West, in the Southwest specifically, and in the north, they have the Brigantes on their side for the most part. And through the political shenanigans of uh, their great queen leader. And the rest of the island is more or less the target now. The southeast has slowly been coming under control. And they seem to have made their way through with what looks to be little effort and little trouble. To the point that the emperor has thrown already uh, a massive triumph and has already held uh, reenactment ceremonies, as we mentioned last week. So this week, what we want to talk about is the previous governor, um, Paulinus, who who leaves as governor of Britain in 47 AD. He passes leadership to Publius Osterus, who is the proprietor who is effectively in charge of Britain at this point. They're not quite the the actual province quite yet. So the governors, it's kind of sketchy whether they're governors or military leaders. But his job is effectively to bring everything under control, to expand the boundaries of the Roman province, and continue to bring the Western tribes under control. He, in what has to be a typically Roman thing to do, but one of those strange things where you sit there and you think, why did he do this? So... When they invaded, one of the uh, allied tribes, as we said last week, was the Iceni. Uh, Iceni had been friends with Rome. I'm, I, it's not really clear in the sources why uh, Tacitus, who gives us probably the best account of all of this, doesn't really go into clarification as to why the general felt he had to do this or why this proprietor had to do this. He decides to demand that allied tribes give up their arms. Now, this is a fairly common thing to do in the Roman provinces. If you're going to live in the Roman provinces in peace, you have to give up your, your weapons of war. But for an allied tribe to do that when they had been with you from the beginning seems a little peculiar. But nonetheless, this is what he demanded. Uh, the Iceni, as always seems to occur in these circumstances, weren't best pleased, and they revolted against him. And this leads to all sorts of interesting confrontations. Uh, the expansion of Roman-held territory grows because even though they tried to use a pretty clever stratagem of trying to send Roman troops, who are mostly cavalry troops, through a narrow pass and then try and destroy them, uh, ends up backfiring because the Roman general, who apparently pretty much only had uh, allies. Now, whether those are allies of Rome from anywhere in the empire or if they were actually British allies, it's not completely clear here. Uh, but they take their cavalry, take them off their horse. They act like soldiers instead of cavalrymen, and they're sent to attack this group. And apparently, in the explanation that's given to us, the group that had set up the defenses to try and squeeze in the Roman military ended up in a situation where they themselves were squeezed because they couldn't escape their own trap 
And so the Romans shattered them at that point. And at that point, the Iceni fall apart as an enemy and are brought in line. In fact, the expansion of uh, Rome at this stage in Britain reaches for the first time the Western Sea and the Irish Sea. And they even go so far as to say that they can actually see Ireland or Hibernia, as they call it. Um, the other thing that happens is in the west, southwest, they reach the Avon and Severn areas. So now they're on the brink of Wales. And it's at this point where the Welsh tribes officially come into Roman history. And we actually get to the point of this podcast, which it becomes a, a true Welsh history podcast, because now we're actually talking about written history about a Welsh people that isn't just sort of vague. And it gives us a good idea of the mentality, at least perceived by Tacitus especially. Tacitus will go on and describe a lot of the British tribes as effectively being much better as barbarian than as Romans. He will say that they have given up their freedom for the slavery of Roman civility. And we will go more into this as, as we get these British tribes coming under Roman purview. But at this stage, he brings all of this up again. And it's interesting because at this point he has Caractacus, the great uh, war leader of the Roman Britons, or the Britons, uh, actually coming into Silurius territory and then moving on into the Ordovice territory. Now, he talks about him trying to roust the troops, effectively. And it seems to me like he becomes sort of the clarion call for the Welsh tribes to try and convince them to get involved against the Romans before the Romans get involved with them. Effectively, I think what he's trying to do is unite the tribal heads around his own leadership and lead the the resistance and revolt against the Roman interlopers. And he's very successful at this to the point where there's a lot of... Uh, Tacitus, of course, as always in these cases, gives him all sorts of credit and ends up giving him quite a number of... of discussion points, which I think are interesting to read. The tribe to start with, I guess, is when they talk about the Silures, the South Welsh tribe that they, the Romans first butt heads against. Um, Tacitus describes them, On the Silures, neither terror nor mercy had a least effect. They persisted in war and could only be quelled by legion encampments in their country. This might be the more prominently affected. A colony of strong body of veterans was established, um, on the conquered lands. So what he's talking about here, though, is he's not talking specifically about in the Silures land. Uh, there's a lot of belief that there wasn't a lot of colonies set up in Wales, but rather that this is to do with Colchester, which we talked about last week. The setting up the colony at Colchester was done with a strong body of veterans. So in other words, it was mostly experienced war fighters, but not only that, but obviously people who could pick up their arms easily again and, and come to blows with the enemy should they be needed. Uh, they then set up the Claudian Temple at the center of Colchester. And Colchester kind of becomes the mini capital of the province of Roman Britain. And at this stage is the first truly established municipal government of the area that is actually authorized by Caesar, by Claudius Caesar. And at this stage, we have this idea that there is now a Roman presence here and it will only expand. So this is now, we're talking about 51 AD. And as the 
conflict kind of become a lot well as the conflict becomes heavier and the confrontations become more pronounced uh the idea that the other side is is slowly being driven towards fighting begins and there's this whole idea that this they're sort of being dragged off to war by Caractacus and he goes so far as to this Tacitus again goes so far as to describe that they ended up fighting the Britons and actually on this occasion it's the Ordovice now because he's gone north and in the central and northern parts of Wales he's got the Ordovice on his side and he uses them to help deal with the Romans and they have a really quite well-described confrontation and uh, I just want to read a little bit of it rather than the whole thing uh, just so that you get kind of an understanding. The army then marched against the Silures, a naturally fierce people, now full of confidence in the might of Caractacus, who by many an indecisive and successful battle raised himself as far above all other generals of the Britons. Inferior in military strength, but deriving an advantage from the deceptiveness of the country, he once shifted the war by a stratagem in territory of the Ordovice, where, joined by all who dreaded peace with us, he resolved on the final struggle. He selected a position for the engagement in which the advance and retreat alike would be difficult for our men and comparatively easy for his own. And then on some lofty hill, wherever the sides could be approached, by gentle slopes, he piled up stones to serve as a rampart. A river too varying depth was in his front, and the armed bands were drawn up before his defenses. So in other words, what they're saying is, is that they've gone into a, a, a valleyed area, and effectively the the Welsh troops are in the mountain range, on the hills, looking down upon their opposition, and the Romans are effectively trapped in this valley. They then use, as he describes it, missiles, so that could be anything from sling stones to arrows, and they start to have a great impact on the Roman military. They are not defeated, but they're certainly close to breaking at one point, according to Tacitus. They, at least in the way he translates this, is because of their hope and their desire for freedom, they would drive forward and possibly go after and take back their country from the Romans. And he does put in the words of Caractacus, he describes him as doing... He flew hither and thither, protesting that the day and the battle would be the beginning of the recovery of their freedom or the everlasting bondage. And of course, this fits into the into the strategy and, and ideas of Tacitus, because Tacitus is a senator. He's a senator during Domitian's reign as Caesar, who was considered a tyrant and quite possibly considered insane um, and was absolutely harsh on the Senate uh, and killed a number of senators. So Tacitus has no patience for those who rule with that kind of authority. And so he's always trying to bring in the moral and the idea that, that it's either freedom or slavery. It's freedom or death. You can't have both. And so all the time he's trying to drive this home. As you read his stuff, that is his point. He has a morality story in his history. And the story is that the Romans are pushing slavery against the freedom of these people they're trying to attack the barbarians as he describes them and so often as he puts words in the mouths of these british leaders that's always kind of the point he makes 
Now, did Caractacus say any of this? Possibly. We don't actually know. There's only one legitimate quote in here that possibly Tacitus actually got right, simply because there would have been an actual Roman literate audience. And he actually does quote him as opposed to just, you know, paraphrasing. So you do wonder if that's why is because he's able to get somebody's interpretation of what this man said or whether it was just so significant that people wrote it down because there was there is at a point where he says that there was a lot of respect for Caractacus as a leader and as a king and even in defeat the emperor and the public still held him in high regard to the point where they didn't even kill him he is one of the few leaders that in his own triumph isn't murdered at the end of it and ends up living out the rest of his days in Rome certainly not as a free person but definitely not as a uh, slave to be slaughtered. and But in this battle against him, uh, what Tacitus basically says is at one point, finally, using Roman tactics, they're able to break the, the defenses, they're able to push through, and as soon as they get man-to-man against the, the, the barbarians, in quotes, uh, they're not going to be stopped by these these. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welshhistorypod50 at factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. People and that the Ordovice broke, and at that point, uh, a number of them are captured. He talks about the fact that uh, Caractacus's siblings and wife and daughters are 
at this point captured by the Romans. Uh, interestingly enough, they don't use it to, to try and ransom him or try and convince him to turn himself in. They don't slaughter them. They, they actually hold them prisoner and they're actually put through the triumph later. So there is this idea that, that there was a respect for them. But the nonetheless, the, the first battle between Romans and the Welsh tribes doesn't go terribly well for the Ordovice. And this will kind of be a running theme. The small success that British tribes get against the Romans is only that. It's small. Even the might of Boudicca, who will come later in the revolt and create quite a mess for them, uh, is only really a blip on the horizon of the 400 years that they dominate England and Wales. Up until then, it's mostly just small revolts here and there, a bit of, you know, guerrilla warfare, and they're an inconvenience instead of an official dominance or, an, or any sort of chance that they could have really thrown them off. I mean, the closest they get is Boudicca, but even she and her mighty armies, which are variously described in semi-unrealistic numbers, they're just not going to be enough to defeat the military might of Rome because Rome can continue to just throw troops after troops after troops. As long as they want to hold it, they're not going to lose. And it's when they stop trying to hold things that, they, that they'll actually end up leaving Britain. And in this case, like I said, the, the war doesn't go well. The one tribe is not enough. Even if there was more than a few, they wouldn't have been enough to defeat the Roman military might apparently at this point. Now, that could just be, again, this could be the propaganda that Tacitus is putting forward, that Rome's just so almighty it can't be beaten. We don't really know. They could have been close to defeat and just fluked the win because of a little bit better tactics or strategy. We don't actually know yet uh, based on the information we're given. Like I said, Tacitus is our best source for this battle, and even he is not filled with a lot of information. And to be fair... That's not what he's about. I mean, he's not trying to teach us military lessons. He's trying to teach us about morality lessons and, and the might of Rome as well as versus the the enemy's nobility and their nobility because of their freedom. And Caractacus escapes at this point. He gets away again. Uh, he seems to always manage to do that to this point. And now we're going to get a common theme that comes into the story of Caractacus, which we will hear a few times in, in Welsh history as we go forward, especially in the Middle Ages. And that is that it's not really the Romans that do him in. He continues to get away, even though all of his relatives and, and children and wife are captured. He himself has escaped and he flees to the Brigantes. The Brigantes at this point are already divided over what to do about the Romans. Cartamandua has been a firm supporter of Rome. She believes in the Romans and sees the advantage of being a part of their society and a part of their culture. And thus, she doesn't fight against it. She continues to ally with them, even when maybe it wasn't the smartest thing to do. Maybe she just saw the writing on the wall and saw that regardless of what she did, she was going to end up with a Roman legion in her face if she tried to de defeat them. But nonetheless, she does actually make a good case of why you would work with Rome rather than work against Rome. And one of them is, is that she got to kept, keep her kingdom which not, and, and have the Romans actually support her. So in that respect, 
it's interesting to kind of see. And like I said yeah, last week, she is one of the few women who actually remains on the throne and isn't deposed or isn't put down in favor of someone else who's more Roman by the Romans. And that, to me, shows just how powerful she must have been. This was a lady that knew what she wanted, had the temerity and the political nuance and understanding to get how to get what she wants. And I think I, I made this statement last week. I still think it's true. This is she has understood what the politics are and she plays it better than anybody else. So what happens? Caractacus goes to the Brigantes. The Brigantes are divided into two groups, one pro-Roman and the one anti-Roman. The ones who are anti-Roman pair up with another Welsh tribe, the Deca Angli, and start to cause trouble. The Romans actually put it down fairly quickly, and I think what happens is is Cartamandua, using her political wiles, gets assistance from the legions to deal with this. And it's put down so abruptly that it really doesn't get a huge mention, but you do wonder what was going on. And what we do know is, is that she doesn't have a great situation with her husbands. Uh, she'll have two over the time period, and, and both don't particularly care for her ideas. And they seem to conflict. And whenever they conflict, they start to rebel. This leads to this confrontation. She calls for her Roman buddies. The Roman buddies come up and they solve the problem, regardless of whether the others wanted them to or not. And in this case, it's the same sort of situation. They come up and settle the issue before it really becomes an actual all-out war. Uh, and the Deca Angli are set aside again, effectively. But in this case, what ends up happening is that, like I said, Caractacus heads to Brigante's territory, probably thinking he's heading to a, a, a free British tribe in probably the hopes, based on the fact that these tribe, this tribe is already starting to raise a little bit of trouble, to try and convince them to come with him on his side. This is now, we're now talking 52 to, yeah, around 51, 52 AD. And so he goes up there, works with them, and as it turns out, Cartamandua catches him. And Cartamandua, in, again, classic uh, real politique, turns him straight over to the Romans. And that leads to his capture, leads to him joining his family, headed to Rome to be in a triumph. Osterus becomes one of the few non-emperors to receive a triumph in this period. He is lauded for his bravery uh, funny enough, he gets back to Rome just in time for all this, just for Britain to go again into the into problems as, again, the Welsh tribes continue to stir up issues and the Silures at this point are now causing the trouble. So they're not done with being a problem. And so he will actually be removed as, as governor and they will bring up yet another pro, proprietor to help defend. Cracticus ends up in Rome. He is then, as I said, paraded through Osterus's triumph, and he ends up being voted all sorts of distinctions. Osterus does not, Caractacus. And effectively, the whole perception is, is that at this point, uh, Tacitus puts it like this. He says, you know, either one of two things happened. He says, soon afterwards, and this is after all the triumphs and celebrations, 
the Romans met with reverses, either because when Caractacus was out of the way, our discipline was relaxed and under the impression that the war was ended, or because the enemy, out of compassion for so great a king, was more ardent in their thirst for vengeance. And this is where, again, this whole rivalry continues to go on. But to get back to Caractacus and to kind of finish this episode on him, because this is kind of where we are at the moment. And I think it's interesting, like I said, that, that Tacitus actually went to the bother of having an actual quote from Caractacus in Rome, which makes it, like I said earlier, probably more than likely that this is actually an accurate comment from him and not a paraphrase or not a putting your own opinion in the mouth of someone. And if it is, then it shows that Caractacus understood the Romans all too well, understood his position all too well, and realized that in under other circumstances, this may have all been reversed and may have been all different. And he said, uh, when he spoke at the end of the, of the tribunal, he said, Had my moderation and prosperity been equal to my noble birth and fortune, I should have entered this city as your friend rather than as your captive. And you would not have disdained to receive, under a treaty of peace, a king descended from illustrious ancestors and ruling many nations. My present lot is as glorious to you as it is degrading to myself. I had men, horses, arms, and wealth. What wonder if I parted with them reluctantly? If you Romans choose to lord it over the world, does it follow that the world would accept slavery? Were I to have been once delivered up as prisoner, neither my fall nor your triumph would have become famous. My punishment would be followed by oblivion, whereas if you save my life, I shall be an everlasting memorial to your clemency. So in other words, Caractacus is pleading for his life, sets out a very Tacitus point of view, which is where I say, even though it's a quote, this is a Tacitus point of view, something he goes back to constantly about the idea of freedom and the noble barbarian versus the corrupt and decadent Roman and the Roman provinces. Um, but nonetheless, there is this understanding that he pleaded for and received clemency. And whether or not... I like to think that it's actually what he said, or at least a good paraphrase of what he said, that effectively, you know, under normal, under other circumstances, we would have been friends. We would have been noble and wonderful allies to one another. But instead, because you decided you really wanted my land and my territory, we had to be enemies. And so it's to my deficit and to your benefit that this has happened. And I think that in and of itself is pretty much the way Roman Britain works for the Welsh and British tribes. It becomes a case of, the Romans get all the success, the glory, the money, the benefit of having Roman Britain. The tribes become melded into this civilization. And in some ways, it's it as historians, it's great because here's this record. We now have one of the first quotes ever that we have from a leader of a British tribe being quoted. As I said, how legitimate the quote is, is up to you to decide, but they're important enough now that the focus of history is on them. And we're now starting to see more than just the archaeology, more than just, you know, a scratch scratch of things. We're actually seeing literal people, literal beings who had names, had lives, did things, and were records were kept of those things. And it's 
fascinating to see how that interrelationship amongst each other still is a negative for them and how the success of the Romans is built as much on their own div- the British divisions as it is around their actual military capability. Because the reality of it is, had all of Britain turned against the Romans, they probably would have been thrown out, regardless of how good they are at fighting. You can't defeat an entire country if that entire country turns against you and you have a small force. So the reality of it is, as long as the Romans continue to use divide and conquer, which they totally will do, they will continue to progress until they reach Scotland. And that's kind of where we're going to leave this for today. But I will remind you, and and thank you everyone who's been commenting and sharing their opinions and sharing what we're talking about on our various social media pages, be it Twitter, Facebook, uh, even in the AMA and Reddit last month. It was so great to talk to you all. I continue and hope to talk to you all even some more. You can reach me at the Welsh History Podcast at gmail.com. You can also talk to me on Twitter at Welsh History Pod. Uh, if you want to talk to me about other things, you can reach me at my other Twitter account, which is at John, J O N D M P. And that's where I talk about other things other than Welsh history and Welsh related things. And I look forward to talking next week as we go on with the Welsh tribes and their resistance towards uh, the Roman rule and the eventual arrival of Boudicca, which then leads us to our eventual melding into the Roman rule. And we start to talk about Roman Wales as opposed to just the British tribes and the Romans. And I look forward to that and we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. This has been a Distractions Media production. For more information, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.